Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Hey, I'm feeling something a little different today. Uh, We were going to talk about Sabbath today, but for some reason it just doesn't feel like that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, So I hate when God does this. but I also love when God does this, and so um, let's pray, and if he wants to change his mind again while I'm praying, that'd be fine, (laughs) slash terrifying. Jesus, we love you. God, I've committed my life, we've committed our community to be in a space where people can come and hear your voice, not mine, not other people's, and we know that we have a part to play in that, but Father, we are, we're so tender and fragile to our need for you. And for many of us, Lord, we're, we're hungry, but we don't even have, like I feel it. It's like we're trying to ramp people up to just simply believe and enter into the goodness of God on Sundays. And uh, God, I, I'm confessing that we're tender and fragile without you. And we're hungry for you. We want the real thing. We want the authentic touch of God in our life. We don't want a hype fest, man. We don't want to just stamp somebody else's culture over here. Father, we're asking you for our lives and our city and our families. Lord, what does it look like to devote our whole lives to you? What does it look like to belong to you? What does it look like to be people who are, who are stamped and tattooed with the spirit of the living God, who are called sons and daughters? What does it look like? So Father, would you teach us to be people who are deeply rooted in your love, God, and have a confidence in who you are, even when we have hard days. So, Father, I just thank you for this time, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak. Speak. Speak through your people. Speak to us. Speak through us. Father, do something in us that only you can do. And we just give you thanks right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Um, We're going to read. We don't have it on the screen, so we might in a second, because we weren't going to do it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, and we're going to go through verse 25. I want to read this passage of scripture because just in, <laughs> I felt the Lord doing this. And so um, during worship, I was just asking, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you do? What are you doing? Why? Why are you doing this? What do you want to do? And um, I just felt like the word confidence was what the Lord was speaking to me. Uh, you know, I feel this in our community, and I don't, I don't mean in Columbus. I actually mean in our church family. That we, there is a lack of confidence in what God has done in you and who you are because of that. That there is a real fragility in who you are in Christ and what that means now. And one of the beautiful things that the gospel holds out for us is this fact that you can be a person who has confidence in something you don't see. That you can stand firmly as though it's cement under your feet on this reality of who God is and what he's accomplished in Christ. Confidence. And so I want to read this passage of scripture. I'm not sure all that the Lord wants to say, but we'll figure it out together. Um, Do I have anybody just with a really, I mean, let's see here. Anybody got it open? Will you come and read it for us? I forget your name. Would you share it with me again? Rick. Please, will you come, Rick? Rick is an intercessor and a prayer warrior. I know this, but I don't know Rick very well. But I'd love, Rick, if you would just read um, verses 19 through 25 for us. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day appear. Thank you, Father. The writer of Hebrews starts it off just like this. So, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In Jewish culture, you guys know this, those of you who have grown up around the scriptures, but for those of you who are new to the scriptures, the most holy place is the most terrifying place for every Jew. <laughs> like, there was nobody who was saying, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to go into the most holy place. That was, that was a terrifying notion. Their, their tabernacle was set up in such a way that you had to enter through layers of access into God's presence. It wasn't like today where you come by faith to Jesus and he puts the spirit of God in your life and you have open access to the Father. For some of you this morning, even that notion, uh, like you accept it theoretically, but practically it terrifies you still. Practically the notion that you are the temple and the dwelling place of God is, is terrifying. And here as we read this, this, this would have been jarring for the people to read that you, okay, think about your week, right? Think about your failings. Think about your struggles. Think about your life. You, even with all that, can have confidence. Not confidence to stand in like the third layer outside of God's presence where the Gentiles were or the second layer where maybe the, the female Jews were or maybe even the first layer where the priest could go, but you, you have confidence to enter the most terrifying place, the place of the, the imminent presence of God, the place where he actually is, not people who have experienced who he is, not a story where, that you once heard about when God showed up, you, you meet God. And if you could wrap your imagination around it this morning, if God entered this space in the fullness of his glory, what might happen to us? You know, we have the Spirit of God within us, but I'm, I'm telling you, even now, if God walked in in His full glory, we would all die. There's not a single one of us who would make it out of this building alive. Not because God is angry or trying to kill people, but because He is so holy that these physical bodies could not withstand the glory of God. The radiant light and fire that consumes everything around Him. The scriptures describe him over and again as light from the waist up like burnished bronze and fire from the waist down. The image is that God is so pure, so holy, that even on the last day when everything becomes new, it says that he himself will be the sun that radiates light. We won't need anything else to radiate light. It just comes from God. So bright, in fact, that Moses stands before him and he comes down off the mountain and he glows like an alien. 
the radiant glory of God. You can imagine this morning like the, what we are doing in worship on a Sunday morning. The reason why Daniel took so much time this morning to stir up your faith in worship, to stir up your gratitude, is because we are saying God is here. And how we respond to that presence is of utter importance, is of absolute importance. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that the terrifying nature of God, of being where God is, the place of his tangible presence and glory, that you can have confidence with, with a, a steady, rooted faithfulness. You know that you can enter into that place. Ephesians says, boldly and unashamed. Hebrews echoes that, that you can go in boldly. How? Look at the scripture. How do we go in there? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. In the, in the tabernacle, there were these massive curtains. And the one to enter into the most holy place was so thick and so heavy. They say it was like a foot of curtain. There was a more specific measurement. But this thing is heavy. It's a foot deep. And it stretched from side to side. And the idea is, do not go in there. <laughs> one guy gets to go in there one time of year. And he puts a bell on in case he is so sinful that God strikes him dead. It is a terrifying place. And now he says, you have this boldness that you can actually enter into the manifest presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Yes. Yes. So everything that you lacked before Jesus, everything that you couldn't ever do to get to God, he has done one time and for all through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus. And so now your life is this one big triumphant victory cry. This is what God does. And for every single one of us, like we come together on Sundays, and the, the institution is not like, how do we hype this thing up on Sundays? It's how do I live in victory 24 hours a day, seven days a week, recognizing what God has done in me through the cross. I come by the blood of Jesus. Not by anything that I've done through the, through the work of Jesus. Jesus on the cross looks down and he says, it is finished. What is? Everything that needed to be done to get you to the Father. Everything that needed to be accomplished so that you could walk into a united relationship with God in heart. It was by the blood of Jesus. And this scripture says that this blood of Jesus, his body, is a new and living way open for us. Through the curtain, through that thing that once separated us. You know, we're not Jewish, so it's nice for us to grab a picture of this. That one thing that separated us from the presence of God, now the body of Christ literally opened for us. And the blood of Jesus poured out for us becomes this open and new and living curtain, and it's his body. And it says that because of that, we have a great high priest who is over the house of God. And here's the challenge for us. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and complete assurance of faith. You know, I feel this fragility when I come to church, honestly, and I think it's with our community. I don't think it's everywhere you go. I think for some reason in our community, we have this reticence we were talking about in our community on Thursday we have this reticence to enter in and part of me questions is that because we are not assured are we standing back and saying is it really true 
Does he really, has he really finished the work? Is it really paid for or do I need to add something else to it? Do I need to do something to work myself into salvation and into a relationship with God? Or can I believe something beyond all reality that God is who he said he is and that he has finished this work of opening a new way into the presence of God boldly and unashamedly because of the purity of his son? And those are two different realities. One leads me into a vast space of insecurity with the Father all the time. And it trickles into every relationship around me, right? Insecurity with how they see me. Insecurity with how I'm, how I'm perceived. Insecurity with whether or not I can actually trust that God is good, that this thing can be good, and somehow He still invites us in. And so today, I, I feel the same thing for us. That we, we are... We are reaching and stretching just to believe that this is true. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't say you can feel pretty good about it. He says you can have confidence to enter. A deep-seated conviction that this is true. Such a deep conviction that the rest of the commands of Jesus suddenly come into clarity. You're not doing the commands to work your way into his presence. You're doing the commands. You're walking out this thing because he has made you a son and you can think of no other way to live. You can have confidence to enter through this way opened for us. But listen to that word in verse 22. Let us draw near. He's saying you can have confidence, but that doesn't mean that you're actually entering into it. I can believe it theoretically. I can stand back at a distance and know that God has done these things for me. And yet, I can actually sit with my arms folded and my hands in my pockets in life, not responding to this work of faith. Yeah, yeah I think I'm a Christian. Yeah, I think I have faith. But he says, okay, so if that's true, draw near. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. You know, there's these moments in prayer where I will come before God and um, I am faced with my sin. And the longer I go and the further I go with the Lord, it, Rick, that doesn't become smaller. It seems to get bigger where I come before him in his holiness and I see how far off I am. Are you, are you with me? When I was younger, I came in and I felt more confident about how cool I was, how awesome I was in God's eyes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, when you're fresh in faith, you're like, yes! And then the longer I go, the more I realize, like, God, I still feel like I have such a long way to go in you. And it kind of works like this for me. I, I, I find myself in that place where I have to be reminded, I have to actively remind myself that His grace is sufficient for me. And that the same grace that won me in without any works of my own is the thing that will sustain me as I put my trust and my faith in Him. Now that doesn't mean that He, he keeps us from transformation. Patty read it this morning, right? 2 Corinthians 3. That He is transforming us into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. Like this is a, a process. This is a work. And you actually have a part in that. So when temptation comes, you have a part in saying no to that and choosing the way of Jesus, right? When someone harms you, you actually have a part in it. God doesn't just come and do it all for you. He actually invites you to do it his way. And then by his spirit, he empowers you to do that. And I believe as we obey, he starts transforming our heart. Obedience begets transformation. 
And so we don't, we don't get a, a, a pass on being faithful, right? But it's only by the blood of Jesus that we get in. And I have to do that work when I come to the Lord in prayer and I feel like guilt in my conscience or in my heart. I have to do that work. And my words literally are this, Lord, I, I take hold of the grace. I take hold of the grace that you've saved me with today. I plead for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for your mercy over my life. It doesn't see me as I see me, but sees a finished work. And I, I lay hold of the grace by which you saved me. And for some of you today, you feel so disqualified from walking with Jesus. Get in line. Seriously, look around. We went to a funeral this week. This, uh, this really impactful pastor. And uh, he had churches, his church was like 5,000 people in the middle of the country in nowhere, Georgia. And Dustin and I went there and several others, I'm sure, from the room. But Dustin, the thought that I was wrestling with, everybody was screaming out the accolades of this man. And I was thinking of how embarrassed he must be standing at the side of Jesus hearing accolades about himself. I was faced with this reality that Jesus is not impressed with how impressed you are with me. And that one day we'll stand before the Father and whatever people think about you and your life and your accomplishments, we will be looking at him and saying, I'm so sorry that this is, seems to be about me. I'm so sorry. This has always been about you. This has always been about Jesus. Everything we have, everything we can give, everything we do is about him. I wonder, though, how often we just spend our lives trying to make sure we draw in security for ourselves and attention, and we forget that it's about him. But one day we will stand with him, and everything, everything will be about bringing glory and honor to Jesus. And I, I really feel like that starts today. I don't feel like that waits until then. Are you with me? I don't know how I got there. Let us draw near to God with a glad and sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And listen, he says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. In Judaism, they would use, they had all these ceremonial washings. And so, like, if you were going to go into the presence of God, you had to be clean. You didn't go in dirty, right? And so in their mind, they understood the holiness of God and what it meant to get there. And we understand on this side of the cross that the only way to get clean to go into the presence of God is through the blood of Jesus. And so, what, sprinkled by what? Cleansed by what? Him. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me. If you don't allow me to do the work of washing you, you have no part with me. For many of us, we live in these cycles, just like Patty was sharing earlier, of shame and, and, uh, and distance from God because we are unwilling to let him wash us. And Jesus wants to wash you. Be reminded, he has given you a, a wild invitation to come into the presence of God through his blood, but you got to get washed. You know, one of the things in our generation that we have done to make the gospel more inclusive is oftentimes we try to give the gifts of covenant relationship with God outside of covenant. Are you with me? So we talk about the goodness of God and his blessings in everyone's life, but we forget that that comes by the way of Jesus. 
That's hard for our generation. We want, we, we want to extend to everyone everything that God has offered. But all the promises of God are yes and in Christ. Amen. In Christ, so be it. Which means that we have an even greater responsibility as the people of God. Because our goal is to bring as many people into the promises of God as possible. But for many, we want the kingdom. We just don't want the king. We want the promises. We just don't want faithfulness to Jesus. We don't want anybody who can tell us yes or no, right or left. And in this relationship, we only come into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. We are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. We are washed with the pure water of the word. Verse 23, this is another lettuce. So if you're a circler in your Bible, he uses that phrase, let us, five times in six verses. Let us draw near. Our second one, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Why do we hold on to this hope we profess without it moving like unswervingly? Doesn't go left or right, straight ahead. How do I hold on to my faith like that? Because what I'm seeing in the church, big church, in our community as well, what I'm seeing is swerving faith. It is not unswerving. It is swerving. <laughs> I believe God is good. I'm new. And then a Tuesday hits and like the money doesn't show up or your girlfriend breaks up and it's like, God is not real any longer. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hold on a second. We have swerved left, you know, like what changed <laughs> from Sunday to Tuesday? Your circumstance. God didn't change. What changed? He says, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. How do I do that? I do it because he who promises faithful. I do it by training my mind and my heart around where God has shown up in the past and understanding that if he has shown up there and if he has already done that, he will continue to do so. He's faithful. You know, we, we live in this in-between right now in the body. We talk about the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of our bodies, but we haven't fully seen all that yet, have we? Like we live in forgiveness, but it's all in hope that when we face God, he's not going to kill us. <laughs> That's the hope. <laughs> it's actually here. <laughs> you know? it, faith with assurance that when God does enter the room, that because of the blood of Jesus, that he actually covers you. He's made a way of escape for you. He talks about this, this blessed hope. What is that? It's that when you stand in God's presence, that you will get a resurrection body that can withstand his glory. That you can be in the presence of God forever and you won't be destroyed. I think that's what resurrection is all about. Just trying to give you a body that can actually hang out with Jesus for the rest of time. That's it. This old thing cannot stand up to his presence. It will be destroyed. And Jesus is giving us this hope. He says, let us hold unswervingly to this hope that we are forgiven, that we are being transformed, that we are new in him, and that we will be justified before him, the God of consuming fire, that we'll be justified before him in all his holiness because of the blood of Jesus. Grab a hold of that. Third, let us. And let us consider. Let us think on. 
Let us train our minds around this, how we can spur each other on toward love and good deeds. I don't know about you, but I'm sensing the further I go in life, how few relationships I have that are actually like this. Are you with me? How, how few? And I, I know some of you to like a great degree. Most of you don't feel like you can spur me on toward loving good deeds. That means you've got to have authority in my life, right? That means I have to give it. I realized as a pastor a long time ago that I only have the, the level of authority in someone's life that they're willing to give me. That's it. So I often, if you've had a confrontational conversation with me, it often starts like this. What kind of voice do you want me to have in your life? What I'm saying is I'm empowering you to make a decision on whether or not this matters because I don't want to just waste my breath. But how many of us do we actually cling to this fact that God has inbuilt this system for you to be spurred on, to be pushed and encouraged toward loving good deeds? Exactly because we have this hope that we profess that God calls us into. So of course we're going to move toward loving good deeds. And if your faith does not have this practical application that looks like love and good deeds in the community around you, then perhaps you don't have an unswerving hope. Perhaps you aren't grounded in the fact that you have entrance into the place with Jesus. Perhaps this is still just about you and not about him. He says, let's, let's urge each other on toward love and good deeds. I think what the, the community, the world longs for, and I, I don't know why, but it's been framed like this in my mind for years. The world is waiting. Creation is waiting to see the sons of God revealed. Right? That's what the scripture says. It's a really like daunting passage of scripture. I really believe creation is waiting for people to understand their role in creation and to step out and to serve it. Are you with me? In charismatic circles, that means specifically signs and wonders and miracles. I'm cool with that. I just don't think it's the full picture. I think there's also like love and good deeds and self-sacrifice and things that serve the, the needs of other people at the basis level. How do we do both? How do, how do I live in love and good deeds and understand that creation is responding to the church embracing her role? Embracing her place in the world to be a, a place of service and, and commitment and love. Fourth, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I should let somebody else teach on that part. Um, <laughs> one of the things they don't teach you in church planning is that you're still human and you have like human emotions and tendencies and ways of thinking about things. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Uh, in this process, I have gone through that thing of saying, I'll just be real with you guys, I'm saying, Lord, I really want to have a pure heart about like all the things that we're doing. I really want to have a pure heart that when I talk to people about coming to the body, it's not because I just really like having lots of people in the body on Sunday. I got to be honest, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice to look around and see people and to see people who have said, hey, man, we're committed. We're going to be there. And then they're not there for like six weeks. And you're like, uh. <laughs> if I did that to Chrissy, I just always wonder how it would go. Baby, I'm in this with you forever. I'll see you in six weeks. You know, like <laughs> you do your thing with the girls. I'm going to go have some fun. I'll be back. It's going to be cool. I'm in this forever. You know, <laughs> she would slap me in the face and say, see you later, punk, you know. Listen to this encouragement. It's not hard. It's not critical, critical, but he says, 
let us not give up meeting together. Can I encourage you with something? That one of the purest ways to see if you are in a vibrant relationship with the Lord is if you are actually committed to gathering together. Committed, like on a constant, consistent thing. It's, it's not a legalism. It's not going to get you saved. If you were looking to come here today to get saved just by being here, it doesn't work. You know, it's not in the, it's not in the formula. But one of the clearest ways to say, are you committed to being a part of the body of Christ is to be with the body of Christ. <laughs> Remarkable, right? There's something that happens when I come in and I'm sitting with people whose experience is different, whose story is different, and somehow the gospel has struck their life. It's gone off like a cannon. And that reverberates into the way that I see God and experience Him. And I hear testimonies in kitchens on Sunday morning, and over tears we remark about the faithfulness of God. And I remember for myself, because I'm busy doing other things, He is faithful. He always always, always comes through. And sometimes it's not the way that I think, but he's there. His hand is there. He is at work. And somehow when I meet with Tony, when I meet with Patty, when I meet with Casey, somehow there's this groundwater of the Spirit. You're stepping into a deeper reservoir than you have. And for some of you, you're going through tremendously difficult things. The, the writer of Hebrews looks at us and he says, do not give up on meeting together. If it's just a consumer mentality and you're coming just to receive, you're missing out on the spiritual quantity and quality of what God is doing below the surface of your life. He is establishing this framework for you to stand up on in a deeper and, and higher place because of the people that you're running with. I can't tell you the blessing it's been to walk with people who have been through harder things than me and seen them come out the other side trusting the Lord and walking in faith. That changes the way that I see things. That changes the way that I live, right? And last but not least, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the things that we insisted on when we started this community is that we would be a family. And I got to tell you, that is the hardest thing that we have tried to do. That probably will continue to be the hardest thing that we have tried to do. I think it's the hardest thing in the body of Christ is to come in on a Sunday morning and to look left and right at people that you don't naturally get along with. Your personalities are wildly different than you grew up with a different value system from them. And somehow God says, ah, this is your brother. This is your sister. Congratulations. <laughs> you have just inherited 20 people you don't know who are your family. And this thing that happens in family is that you can hide in family for a while, right? If, if you just meet up for Thanksgiving like once a year and that's the only time you see your family, you can play like things are cool. But when you hang out with them every week and they see that you're like pretty chipper 70% of the time and you come in and you're really down or you're discouraged or you're beat up, inevitably, if it's really family, they'll say, are you all right? What's going on? You don't have to have a deep sense of discernment. You just have to ask how people are. Are you okay? You seem sad. In family, suddenly we, we get this texture, this specific fabric on what it looks like to encourage each other. Not because I ha 
always know what to do or what to say, but it's because this love and good deeds thing is taking root in my life, and the practical application is my, my buddy is going through hell, and I'm going to be there for him. My sister is struggling with this addiction, and I'm going to be there for her. This family is going through a difficult financial season, and all I can see is that because I have confidence to enter into this holy place, because Jesus has paid for everything by his blood, because of all of that, because I've got this family and I don't stop gathering, because I'm holding unswervingly to this hope that I profess, even when stuff doesn't seem to be going well, the practical application is that I want to encourage my brother or sister. That it's not about just me. That I see that my life is in response to this thing that God has done. And nothing, nothing is going to keep me from giving courage, from infusing with courage those who are struggling around me. That's encouraging. I see somebody who's in the middle of fear. I see somebody who's under the weight of oppression. And I get in and I infuse them with the courage that God is giving me through his word, through his spirit, through his community. For many of you, you don't have confidence, right? And God wants you to be confident. Here's the great news. It has nothing to do with how you feel about it all. You actually don't have to feel, you know, like super uppity for this thing to be true. It is true or it's not. Let's solve that one today. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to consider later. Now, you're going to have to get yourself in alignment with it for the rest of your life, heart, mind, soul. But it's either true or it's not. Are you with me? Therefore, you can have confidence to enter into this most holy place by the blood of Jesus.